Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Apply my business. Bless my provision and my management of it. Protect me from my enemies and make them scatter. Bless my accounts and the land you give me. Establish my family as holy and let the world see that I am blessed. Make me abound in prosperity, both with relationships and money. Open the treasury of heaven and reign on my life. Cause me to be the lender, the head, a blessing, and the blessed. For my good and your glory, in Jesus' name, hallelujah. And now we're going to take some time to give, and we can do that through 84321, text to give online or in person if you like. Um, we also have a bucket at the front that we won't pass due to this silly pandemic. And, um, and in the link in the description online, you can also give that way. And now if you could remain standing with me, we're going to mix it up and go into a time of prayer. Hey, guys. I'm Sarah Pagano. I'm the director of Community Life, and you guys can keep standing. Um, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together before we transition into the message. It'll be up on the screen in case you don't remember it. Uh, let's say it together, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Now let's welcome up. Amen. Yeah, give it up. Amen. Now let's welcome up Pastor Carl Thomas. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, give somebody else a high five. Go ahead. Sit down. Thank you so much for coming. I like praying together, don't you? I like praying together at the beginning of service. I like uh, us reciting prayers together, the creeds of the church. Probably going to see more of that, and uh, I can talk about that at a later time. Good morning, church. Hallelujah. It's so wonderful to see you. Those of you online, it's good to see you this morning online. I already said what's up to my fam uh, in the chat. We're starting a new message series today. We're calling it Father Issues. Anybody got any father issues? And I put this to say the church has some father issues. Just like we have father issues in our natural life, there's things uh, we, as a church, has father issues. Sometimes we have a hard time sorting out the legacy we're left by our parents. Sometimes we chalk up their problems to their father issues, and sometimes we chalk up our issues to father issues. And in this series here at Revival Life Church, um, we're going to explore some of the complicated legacies that have been left to us by our church fathers. Uh, we're going to go in four weeks in the series, and uh, we're going to work through some complex legacies. Um, they were left by complex men. Uh, and uh, together, we're going to work through some of these issues. Amen? Amen. Now, well, here's what we have decided here at Revival Life, and I don't want to talk about this for long. We want to reach, reach everybody with this message of freedom, right? We want to reach the world with the message of freedom. Amen? But what we'd also found out here at Revival Life Church is um, we're not playing the puddles Christians. 
That's just, that's just not who we are, right? And as much as we want to have, you know, summer at the drive-in uh, movie message series, it's just not who we are, right? And so, um, you know, to, 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 to attend Revival Life, you're going to have to have a working brain, right? You're, you're going to have to actually want to grow. We're not going to trick you into growing, right? We're, we're, we're not going to um, make you think you're growing if you're not. And uh, we're just, you know, we just, we want to grow. And so, you know, we, we're going to work through some things that are slightly more complicated uh, than what you can get in a tweet, right? So um, I just feel like if you can tweet a message, it probably didn't say anything, right? Um, at Revival Life, we, we, we talk about the, the, the testimony in our lives a lot. We encourage people to share their testimonies because a testimony is a snapshot, right? It's a snapshot or a, a picture in time. Right, and so these four uh, men that we're going to look at in this message series, it, it's 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 a snapshot of the church in their day and age. It's a it's a testimony of what happened uh, in them. And we're going through four uh, fathers. We're going through uh, Martin Luther on the left, who ministered in the 16th century. We got um, uh, we got Jonathan Edwards there, number three. He ministered in the 17 1700s, and uh, we're going to talk about Constantine the Great. In four weeks, who uh, was uh, alive in the fourth century? Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about that good-looking man number two, William Seymour. Right? We're going to talk about him. who's a great man of God who ministered early in the 1900s. Now, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, here's the question I hope to answer today: What is the point of the baptism in the Spirit? What is the point? What is the point of the baptism in the Spirit? Now. William Seymour here, uh, we associate him with the baptism of the Spirit. He was born uh, right around 1870. His parents were freed slaves. Uh, he grew up uh, as a super, super poor um, farmer. His father fought for the, um, the American army in the Civil War, not the traitors, not, not the, the seditionists, not the ones that need to be wiped off of our history, but the ones who won the war because they love America, right? Not the haters and the slave traders but the Americans, right? Um, he fought, his dad fought on that side. He got ill and he wound up dying. Um, and William Seymour had to help support the family. And uh, here's the popular take on that. Can you put my William Seymour back up, uh, please? Um, William Seymour, uh, go ahead and do the, the, do you have the next graphic with the thing in the background or no? That's eh, all right. William Seymour pastored uh, a church eventually. And here's the popular biography of William Seymour. William Seymour, the popular take is that in the days of segregation, there was a one-eyed black holiness preacher who led a revival at the Azusa Street Mission. Uh, and this revival was amazing. The glory of God would roll into this former converted barn uh, in uh, Los Angeles. The glory would roll in in ways that people could see it with their eyes People from all over the world came to be a part of this little, little shack is really what it was. And they just had some uh, barrels with boards across it. And people from all over the world came and they, they could visibly see and touch the glory of God. It was, it was so amazing that people would get natural languages they never learned and they would begin speaking in them. And this is documented. This is not folklore. And they would... Someone would discern the language they were speaking and they would wander around Los Angeles and find a church of that ethnicity, go in and preach the gospel and people will get filled with the Spirit. It's, it's documented. This is not folklore. 
They would go into a Chinese-American church or Korean-American church and preach the gospel in a language they'd never heard before. And the glory of God would move. It was the, the heavenly language would come. There was such a fire that would fall in that place several times. And again, this is reported uh, and recorded that the fire department was called because people thought that the building was on fire. And they would show up and there was nothing but these crazy Pentecostals in there yelling and screaming and rolling on the ground. The Pentecostal movement became the fastest growing religion in the world today. It has taken over. And today, Pew Research says that out of what we say was this meeting, now there are 584 million spirit-filled Christians worldwide. Come on, come on. That's over half a billion spirit-filled Christians around the world. The work of grace that the Holy Spirit fills you with, they believe. This, this, this second work of grace will empower you so that you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit after this infilling. This is, this is we kind of take it as just something we believe, but this actually started somewhere. This wasn't always a doctrine. And they would quote, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, as we quote all the time, these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is kind of the cornerstone belief of spirit-filled Pentecostal believers, which we are proudly a part of. Amen. We are proudly a part of today. You can find spirit-filled Christians in this part of the world. Go ahead. That's the whole planet, right? And you'll see the darker, the blue, the more we find them. But what's interesting about this movement is this, what didn't start as a church movement, launched out by a big church. It was, it, it was started all across America by people seeking more of God. And as people were seeking more of God, revivals were popping up all over the place. And as we talked about before, all throughout the 1800s, it was this outpouring that was beginning. Healings were manifesting everywhere. Healing ministries were manifesting everywhere. Miracles were beginning to be seen. And um, it was just amazing. And we can't really tell this story of Azusa Street and, uh, and William Seymour without adding this other gentleman, William Parham, uh, you may have heard of him as well. William Parham, um, he, uh, he desired to receive the Holy Spirit um, as a work of sanctification. This was a big word in the 17 and 1800s, sanctification. And what they believed was when the Holy Spirit got a hold of you, Holy Spirit would set you apart from the world and you would become holy. And once you became holy, holy, then you could truly worship and serve God. Now, they really wanted to be holy and they wanted God to do it in them. And so these holiness preachers sought to have this power of the Holy Spirit so they could be separated from the world, so they can, so they can be sanctified, so they can really be pleasing to God. And Charles Parham, the, the white guy, he was an itinerant preacher and uh, he started a Bible school after he had visited uh, a man in Maine uh, who also had a Bible school who it was said that his students started speaking in tongues. So uh, Charles Parham went and, and saw what was happening there, came back to Topeka, Kansas, uh, and he started a school. And in his school one day, he tasked his students to see what the initial evidence of the baptism, if you really got the baptism. Because people said they had the baptism of the Spirit, 
and the evidence they were looking for was a holy life. Are you following me? You wanted to be sanctified, you wanted to be holy, and if you got the Spirit, then you were holy and sanctified. But some people say, well, you don't really see sanctified to me, so I don't really believe that you got the Spirit. You see the judgment here, right? And this judgment will lead you down ugly roads. Ugly religious roads. And so they really wanted proof that you had the Spirit. I need to be able to see that you have the Spirit, was their kind of saying. And so they want to know, how do we really know if people have the Spirit? And they decided... Well, the Bible evidence is found in Acts chapter 2. And it says here, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise. Say noise. Like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they appeared to them as tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with one and speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so they decided the way we would really find out if you have the Spirit is if you began speaking in tongues, just like it happened on the day of Pentecost. That must be the evidence. And so Parham uh, began to teach this to his students. Uh, and his students believed it, and they began to see it. At uh, a prayer meeting in December 31st, 1900, they prayed uh, overnight, and then this one lady uh, got the gift that they had been seeking, and they, she began speaking in the speaking in tongues and got filled with the Spirit. And soon, uh, he moved from Kansas to Texas. And William Seymour, our original good friend here, went to his school. Now, folklore has it that as a black man in the Jim Crow South, he wasn't allowed to be in the meetings, so he had to sit in the hall. Yeah, that's kind of a popular folk. But there's no actual evidence of that anywhere. There's not really written anywhere. It's just kind of what was said. So we don't really know if that happened or not, but I don't doubt it. And so Seymour, he was so humble, he uh, believed this, and he got called to Los Angeles to fill. You guys are okay with stories, right? And so he went to Los Angeles because someone, uh, Holiness Church, asked him to come and pastor. So he shows up in Los Angeles at this holiness church and he starts teaching them the baptism of the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and they quickly had a meeting and kicked him out, right? So he moved from Kansas to L.A. and now he's homeless and uh, they didn't believe him. And so uh, this woman uh, invited him to her house and he told her about it and they began to fast and pray. And after a week of him praying at this woman's house on Bonnie Bray Street, uh, what happened in Acts chapter 2 began to happen in her. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, so many people were amazed by this, that the house, they started to have meetings every day at the house. The house was packed with people, and eventually people were gathered in the yard. And again, this is written history. When people heard about this, they would go to the house and people would fall out in the street on the way to the house. The Lord was clearly doing something. And so people would ask this man, William Seymour, why is this happening in your church? We had so many better equipped churches. You're a blind, half, a half blind man and he's leading a multicultural church in the middle of the time of aggressive segregation. They outgrew that house. They uh, rented a barn. What was a barn uh, was a church. Then it was a barn, and they rented the bottom out and started having meetings there. And, and he said, this couldn't happen in a nice church. 
God was looking for the humble and the lowly. This is where God chooses to move. The humble and the lowly. Why? People were receiving power. They were receiving intimacy. They were receiving love. They were receiving freedom. And they taught that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit will lead us in the truth. Reveal Jesus. Enable us to do the works of Christ. And more importantly, increase intimacy with God. But the point of this message series is that we have complicated fathers and we have complex father issues in the church. And all of what I told you is true and the Spirit began to move in Los Angeles as He did many other places and people went all over the world bringing this doctrine of the baptism of the Spirit with power and love. But at the same point, other things were happening. Let's get into that. So the first thing they began to teach was that the outpouring of the Spirit sanctifies people. Now, they believe that at salvation, the heart is converted, but you're still sinful, right? And they taught that we really need to get sanctified, and the Holy Spirit will have an encounter with the Spirit of God who will sanctify us, and then we will have another encounter with God that will baptize us in His Spirit. And so we encounter Holy Spirit at salvation, then we encounter Holy Spirit at sanctification, and then we encounter Spirit at the baptism, and then some people would say we would have an encounter of healing, and and it started to get super complicated. What happened was people had in their heart a desire and they started looking for it in the Bible instead of the other way around. People will always find what they're looking for in the Bible. Right? What we need to do is let the Bible search us and see what's going on internally as opposed to looking for what we want in the, the Bible. And, and, and so people were encountering God and they felt like they were being separated from the world. The only problem is you're still in the world. And sin happens every day, and offenses happen every day, and hurts happen every day. And sanctification, being set apart from the world, happens instantly at salvation, spiritually, but emotionally, we have to do this day by day. We have to continually choose to be set apart from the world. The outpouring of the Spirit also, it humbles people. When there is a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no one can glory in God's presence. It forces us to be humble. It forces us to seek our heart of our pride. What I see often when the true Spirit of God is poured out, the hard-hearted either recognize that they're judgmental or their heart gets hardened for them to think they know more than anybody who's encountered God. One of two things happens. Either people become more humble or they become more prideful. But when the real Spirit of God comes, it accentuates what's going on in your life. And I feel like the Spirit of God lets us get more prideful so we can begin to mess up our own lives and see we actually need God. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, your pride makes you look like an idiot. Amen. We like to say sin makes you stupid. You and I have both probably seen the Holy Spirit moving in a meeting in such a massive, powerful way. And someone is just getting wrecked by the love of God. And 
they're melting, they're on fire, they're crying as God is drawing them near, and the person right next to them is like, I don't feel nothing. As if that's something to be prideful of. God is in the room and I don't even know it. Like, that's something to brag about. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ha. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Jesus. Here's what, here's what, uh, here's what Seymour wrote. In a short time, God began to manifest his power, and soon the building could not contain the people. Now, the meetings continue all day and into the night, and the fire is kindling all over the city and surrounding towns. Proud, well-dressed preachers come in to investigate. Soon, their high looks are replaced with wonder. Then conviction comes, and very often you'll find them in a short, short time wallowing on the dirty floor, asking God to forgive them and make them as children. Hallelujah. This is what we need. Amen. Amen. We need to open our hearts and let God search what's going on that we can be as children in this world instead of walking everywhere like we're the teacher, like we know everything, showing up as people who need to learn, to understand what's going on with other people. The outpouring of the Spirit ignites love for God. Seymour would say that when two or three people would get together in the meetings, immediately when one starts talking, there would be a burning in your heart for Jesus. Your heart, your chest, the Spirit made Jesus so real and so alive. The outpouring of the Spirit ignites love for people. Now here, this is the most interesting one for me and one I want to touch on for a minute. <clears throat> they started off wanting the baptism of the Spirit for them. They, they, they wanted tongues. They wanted gifts. They wanted sanctification. They wanted power. They wanted holiness, but not so that they could honor God, so they could feel better about who they are. And friend, when your most important concern is you, you're down a bad road. <laughs> you're not going to go anywhere good, and you'll go find all kinds of stuff in the Bible, but it's just not biblical. And so this outpouring was happening, and revival fires were burning and people from all over the city were coming and there's a man named uh, Frank Bartleman who wrote a lot about this outpouring and this revival and he wasn't a part of the church but he wrote books about it because he was an author and he wrote that it was the first interracial church that he'd ever seen and he made the statement that the color line was washed in the blood of Jesus at, at the revival. Now, that is an amazing statement. However, I doubt a black man ever said that. But to a white person who sees black and white people worshiping together, hey, the, the color line is gone while they're living in the era of Jim Crow. <laughs> the color line is gone. Really, but half the people in the meeting can't buy a house. 
The color line is gone, and yet half the people in the meeting can't even go to your church. The color line is gone, and people completely missed it. So Parham heard about the revival. Uh, Seymour called him the father of the Pentecostal movement, honored him greatly. But he hadn't come out to the meeting yet. And within the first nine months, he, had, he asked Parham to come out. And Parham showed up at the revival. And he hated it. This outpouring that he was looking for was for power, as he said. And <clears throat> remember when I told you last week that we need to guard our hearts? Remember that. Remember when I, I said we need to guard our hearts, right? Now, from offense, remember we talked about that last week, you guard your heart from offense? Um, now's the time you want to do that. Okay? Just letting you know. Okay. Here's what Parham wrote about the meetings. He wrote a whole lot, but this is part of what he wrote. I've seen meetings. Uh, he's talking about Azusa. I've seen meetings where all crowded together around the altar and laying across one another like hogs, blacks and whites mingling. This should be enough to, blush, to bring a blush to sh of shame to devils, let alone angels. Does that bother you? Does it hurt you? Do you get offended at that? Because I do. Here's what they called the father of the Pentecostal movement who was, he wasn't a racist. He was a white supremacist. There's a difference. And, and I'm just going to go down this road for a second. We're all racist, right? Everybody sees the world through race. Some people are bigoted. We all see race. If you look at somebody and you see their race and you think that tells you something about them, you're racist, right? And so we all, you see somebody of a certain ethnicity, you think that tells you something about them when it doesn't. That only tells you how much melatonin they have in their life or melanin they have in their life. Right? I need more melatonin. Uh, I could use some melanin as well, but I could use both. But all, all it does is tell you how much melanin their, their, their genetics give them. That's it, period. And so if you think that the color of someone's skin tells you something about them, you're racist. And we're all, to some degree, see people through race. But this was a white supremacist. And white supremacists believe that white people are inherently better than black people. And you say, well, that's, that's kind of an exaggeration there, Pastor. You should get off this topic. Well, we have complex legacy from our fathers. Now, 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 Parham didn't just call these people hogs. He actually wrote uh, that he believed the Israelites really descended from the British and that there were three stages of people. Now, he's written many books on this. I'm not making stuff up and cherry picking. He wrote that white people could be fully Christians and actually are inherently good, that the other people could not become fully Christian but could be domesticated. And then there were the heathens. The heathens were the blacks. And the blacks could not be fully saved and actually needed white people to be in charge of them so that they could live a fruitful life. This was his written doctrine. He taught it. This is who he was. On his later meetings, when he had Pentecostal meetings after he left the Azusa Street revival, uh, he would put on, well, you know, he was also a member of the, the KKK and, um, and, uh, said that the KKK, their theology, the only thing they're missing is the baptism of the Spirit because they understand racial identity correctly. This is our legacy. And we got to bring them both up. This is who we come from. And this is, these are the people who wrote many of our doctrines. 
So in his later ministries, I have pamphlets of his. And at the bottom, he would put on the bottom, he would put convict, convert, and there's another word, except he spelt them all in K. And it says a big K, K, K at the bottom. He's letting them know we don't have meetings like the blacks. You're only going to find whites at my meetings. This is one of our fathers. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. So, all right, I'm almost done. Feeling encouraged? All right. So Seymour, William Seymour, this half-blind black man, child of freed slaves, when he started the revival, he would preach the message that Parham preached because he didn't fully know. And he preached that the baptism of the Spirit is here to give you power. Except the people who came up with that power thing is what, what, he, what, what Seymour was, excuse me, what Parham was preaching about power was you are power to come into your full identity as a white person. That's the power he was seeking from the Holy Spirit. That we could fully identify with and come into the power we were supposed to have in this world over other races. And so Seymour would preach this power and identity thing until Parham fully explained to Seymour more what this power was for, and it wasn't for mixing races. And so if you follow the Azusa Street messages, Seymour quickly quit preaching that the baptism is for power and started preaching that it was for, enabled us to love. To love in a way we couldn't do on our own. And Seymour said, listen, listen. And here's what he came up with in the end. The Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. It does not, if it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. This gracious man, this is how he rebuked his father, his spiritual father. He didn't call him out by name, but he's like, listen, if it doesn't cause you to love more people, you got a counterfeit baptism. If you're in a church that doesn't te teach you to love more people who don't look like you, you are in a counterfeit church. If you believe a doctrine that says you can hate people on the other side of the aisle, you are in a counterfeit revival. It is not the spirit of God. It's a spirit of hate. It's from the devil and it's sensual. It's not holy. Amen. 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 This is what people held on to. Acts chapter 1a, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They love that part. But watch this. It says, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. They missed that part that we're supposed to be a witness for him, not ourselves and the power that we should have. We're supposed to be witnesses of Jesus, the one who laid down his life to serve other people. Hallelujah. Oh, I got about a minute left. That's good. I got stuff to say. Thank you, Jesus. So what's the point? What's the point? I asked you at the very beginning. I said, we're going to answer the question. What's the point of the baptism in the Spirit? We are filled with the Spirit to affect change in us and the world. Amen. Here's the problem that they had at Azusa Street. They had an amazing outpouring of the Spirit, and some white people said, look, the color line has been washed in the blood, but it never was. They didn't take what changed in them out of the church. They didn't say, wow, God did this thing in me, now I have to go spread it. We keep praying, us Spirit-filled folks, that God would come and do something, when He told us to come and do something. And He said, listen, if you go and do it, I'll give you power. 
power. I will empower you to enact this change. I will give you power to tread on serpents. I will give you power to not have to drink the poison. Man, there's people in the church today drinking poison. They got a corrupted heart. They're hateful. They think they can badmouth people online. They think they can slander people. They think they can give slurs to people they don't like. They won't even call people by their name. They got to give them nicknames like, like, like every seditious group has ever done. Stop calling people names. Repent to God. Call people by their name if you want to refer to them. Stop lumping groups together with a slur. It's sin. As your pastor, it's sin. You're allowed to keep sinning, but I got to call sin, sin. It's sin. Stop it. If you've got the spirit of God, you've got power to love people. And your hatred is not going to change anybody. Only love will change this world. Jesus had the power to condemn everyone to hell, and he used that power to send himself there and free people. Come on, that's a God that I want to follow. Hallelujah. And so the problem is we keep waiting for God to do the stuff that we're supposed to do. Oh, Spirit, come and sanctify me. It says in Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. He didn't say pray that the Holy Spirit will come do it for you. He said work out your salvation. Quit asking God to do in you what you need to do in you. We got to quit asking God to do in America what we need to be doing in America. We have to quit asking God to do in this world what we need to do in this world. I've never once prayed to God and said, God, make my son park correctly. Oh, God, don't let my daughter leave the water on in the bathroom. No, I say, listen, turn off the water. You don't got to wait a half hour for the water to heat up while you're in there. Come on, just turn it on and get in. That costs money. I don't pray for that. I do something about it. And if you got the Holy Ghost, you need to do something about it. Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Can you thank Jesus? Come on, somebody. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray really quick, and then Corey's going to dismiss us. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. Do it in me, Jesus. Do it in us. Do it again. Give us another chance to do what you tried to birth at Azusa Street, Father. Do it again right here, Jesus. Father, we know the color line won't be washed away because we got color. And that's not going anywhere, Father. But I pray that the sin of our hearts will be washed away. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that our bigotry would be washed away, that our hatred would be washed away, and we would be converted, converted to lovers in Jesus' name. Thank you. Come on, give it up. Wow, that's so good.